The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m., and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. In today's message, Elder Buddy Abernathy concludes his look at the letter to the church at Pergamos from Revelation chapter 2. You may recall that the church at Pergamos was set in a very pagan city, and in fact, we ended the message yesterday looking at the fact that Antipas, one of its faithful members, if not its pastor, had been put to death in a particularly horrific way. Today, Brother Buddy takes us back to Pergamos and begins to point out some of the instructions that Jesus gave in order to keep that church pure. Join us as we conclude our look at Pergamos today. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Joyful, joyful. Yeah. 
Now look at verse 14. And I want you to notice the pronouns here. You know, in verse 13, he said, Thy works, where thou dwellest, thou holdest, and thou hast not denied, and refers to Antipas who was slain among you. See, he's addressing there the faithful in the church. But watch this. He then says to the faithful in the church in verse 14, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast, here we go, watch this, because thou hast them, see here's a different portion of church, thou hast them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. Now notice the Lord says, I have some things against you because they are them among you that ought not to be among you. Again, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Notice what the them were guilty of. He says, Thou hast them there that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. Now you can read about Balaam, I believe it's uh, Numbers chapter 22 through 24. We're not going to turn to that, but I'd encourage you to read those three chapters and you can get the detail on this. But essentially, Balak was the king of Moab. And in Israel's wilderness wanderings, this was near the end of that time, and they had came to Moab, and you know, everybody had heard about the God of Israel. <laughs> Whether they esteemed Him or not, they respected Him in the sense that the story was known of how God delivered them out of Egypt and how He parted the Red Sea and how He destroyed Pharaoh and his army. That, that word spread, and regardless of their attitude or affection or the lack of affection toward the God of Israel, they feared the God of Israel. And Balak wanted Balaam, who was a known sorcerer, to curse Israel. Well, I think he tried three times and, and that didn't work. So you know what he did? He corrupted them. And the way he did that, he made it his goal to persuade the young men of Israel to intermarry with the Moabite women. That was forbidden. You know, we're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers today. And in the same way, in a literal sense, they weren't to marry those that were among all the ites of the world. The Moabites, the Canaanites, all of those. The only ites they were to marry were Israelites. So this was a sin against God. Just marrying those women was a sin against God. 
But in the same way Solomon was pulled away from God and was involved with the idols of all those women that he should have never married, such was the case here. They became corrupted by those pagan practices of the Moabites. So what he's saying to the church at um, Pergamos, you're doing the same thing. There's those in the church that are going back to what you came out of. You see, Gentiles have a dark past. Look, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Corinth was one of the most wicked cities. And history says when people were behaving immorally in other cities, it was sometimes said, well, you're acting a Corinthian. You know, Corinthian meant... Immorality. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. Some of you in the church were guilty of these sins. Some of you were fornicators, idolaters, adulterers. Some of you were effeminate. Some of you were abusers of yourselves with mankind, and so on. But he says... Uh, But ye are washed, but you are sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. What made the difference in light of that ungodly lifestyle they had lived before coming into the church? It says they were washed, sanctified. Now I want you to notice these action verbs and who did the action. He says, you were washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. See, when you're born again, even though Jesus saved you on the cross, we think of Him as washing away our sins. Listen, when you're born of the Spirit, that is applied to you. That's the way you become clean. That's the way you become vitally washed. That's when you're a new creature. That's when there's something in you that loves the Lord. And that's what he's talking about. He said, you are washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. How are you washed? How are you set apart? That's what sanctified means. How are you justified? That means declared righteous, declared not guilty. How how are you made to be that way? By the Spirit of our God. But you know what? You didn't lose that old nature. Every one of you here, you know you have two natures. And especially your husband or wife knows that you have two natures. Part of you loves the Lord and wants to be unselfish. Part of you loves yourself 
and wants to be selfish and be inconsiderate of other people. And you're not going to ever permanently crucify that man. He's going to be with you until you breathe your last breath. You're never going to get rid of him entirely. You have two natures. And as a born-again child of God, there's still an old nature in you that's attracted to the things of this world. And that's what happened here. Oh, it'd be nice if you could live in a pagan city and be able to walk the streets and say, I'm totally unbothered by the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. I'm unaffected by it. <laughs> I'm not going to fool myself. How about you? you why, did the Lord, why did Paul tell Timothy to flee fornication? The reason he told him is because if, you're, if you stay... If you stay near that temptation, you're likely to engage in it. Run away from it. And evidently, some of these in the church had went right back into these things. He says they're holding the doctrine of Balaam. And what does that involve? Eating things sacrificed unto idols and committing fornication. Fornication is the general term used to cover all sexual sin. It's the general term to cover everything other than a man and woman in marriage. Any and everything outside of that, that's what the term covers. And trust me, there were some things very outside of it in these pagan temples. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now, the Lord had commended the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, verse 6, he says, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And there's a lot of speculation about what the Nicolaitans believe, but I believe it was very akin to this sin of Balaam. It was somewhat akin to it. I'm not sure exactly what it was. But the main thing is they were involving themselves in the immorality of the culture. It seems like one of the things that I read about uh, the Nicolaitans was that it's okay to be a Christian and still be involved in all these other things. Well, by definition, that's not a Christian, is it? That's not a follower of Christ. You know, that's kind of the attitude in the religious world today. It's okay to have a pastor that's a homosexual. It's okay to have a, a pastor that doesn't know what his gender is. See, that's the attitude here, that you can be a Christian and be all these other things too. It really doesn't matter. There was also a philosophy in that day that said that, you know, the part of you that's the part of you that is of God is your spirit. So what you do in your body doesn't really matter. See, there's all kind of corruption out there. He says, verse 16. 
repent. Stop this activity. And remember, he's speaking in verse 14 to the faithful in the church when he has, I have, says, I have a few things against thee. He's saying, stop this or else. Now, it's not too comforting when the Lord says, or else. You know, I might say that to you, do this or else. Well, that might just be an idle threat. But, you know, when the Lord says, repent or else, you know, you can depend on him to do what he says he's going to do. He says, repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. I will come unto thee, listen, I will come unto thee and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. You know, it would be worthwhile to preach a whole sermon on church discipline. A lot of people have a wrong view of it. And it bothers me when people say, so-and-so got thrown out of the church. That, that does not describe it at all, if you understand what the Bible teaches about it. When the church withdraws from someone, they're essentially, and I can prove this with the Bible, they're essentially saying, Lord, we can't get through to them. We can't get their attention. We can't make them feel condemned. You know, as a preacher, I can't make you feel condemned. I don't have that ability. It helped me a lot when I realized I can't make you feel condemned about sin. But the Lord can you know, in Matthew 18, and we're just going to kind of put this in our own words. You know, if, if someone has trespassed against you, go to them and them alone. If he hears them, if he hears you, you've saved your brother. If he won't hear you, take with you one or two more witnesses than, than in the mouth of two or three witnesses. You take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. The purpose there is to resolve it. If he will not hear them, then you tell them to the church. And there's some way in which the church then addresses the matter because it says if he will not hear the church... Let him be unto thee as an heathen and a publican. That does not mean you mistreat him. That means you're saying, Lord, we cannot get their attention. We cannot convince them of this sin. They're not repenting. But we know you can get their attention. You're turning them over to the Lord. In 2 Thessalonians, it says this, and I apologize for not turning to all these verses. But in 2 Thessalonians, when it says, Withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly, it then says, Treat him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You treat him no different. You see him in the, at the mall or somewhere out in public, you treat him no different. 
Because according to 2 Timothy chapter 2, the reason we're not to strive, especially preachers, is because God may give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Now, if you've been mean to them since the church withdrew from them and mistreated them and ignored them and then God gives them repentance, are they going to want to talk to you? No. But if you've always treated them right and then the Lord deals with them, they're going to say, well, you know, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, I know I can go talk to them. I know they'll, they'll treat me right. And if that's not enough, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse uh, 9. Paul said, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Yet not altogether will the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters. For then must you needs go out of the world. Paul is saying, when I tell you not to keep company with fornicators, I'm not telling you not to ever be around them or not to ever work with them or to quit your job if somebody there is a fornicator. Paul says, you got to go out. You got to go out of the world to accomplish that. You can't isolate yourself from them. But here he's talking about fellowship. Being with, socializing. Verse 11, but now I've written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunk or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. For what, listen to this now, for what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within. Oh, somebody will say, Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. We're not supposed to judge anybody. If you reason through that, that's the dumbest comment in the world. If you kill somebody and I call you a murderer, guess what? I'm judging you. But you know what? I got it right. I can't judge your motives, but I can judge your actions. When you got married, you made a judgment and you discriminated. You men that are married, you discriminated against every other woman in the world when you got married. We're judging all day and all the time. Don't judge. Judge just means to distinguish. This is right. This is wrong. That's a judgment. And if you're doing something wrong, and I say you're doing something wrong, using the Bible as my standard, yes, I'm judging you. See, that's not what Jesus was talking about. And we don't have time to explain all of these things. But he, notice what Paul's saying here. Next time somebody says, oh, Jesus said don't judge. Just turn to this verse. Do not Ye judge them that are within. Talking about in the church, members of the church. Paul says, don't you do this? That's a rhetorical question. Yeah. And he goes on to say, but them that are without, notice, this is outside of the church now. Them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Here's the point. God says, if you can't get their attention, and, but yet you don't withdraw from them, 
Lord says, I'm going to hold off because you haven't done your job yet. Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among you that wicked person. You see the point? You're not putting them away to destroy them. You're putting them away because you're saying, Lord, we can't get their attention, but you can. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now go back to Revelation as we just have a couple of minutes left. Verse 16, repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit say unto the churches. If you're born of God, if you have a spiritual nature, you have the ability to hear. And he says, if you can hear, listen. He that hath an ear, not speaking of the physical ear, but speaking of the spiritual ear. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Now you remember in the wilderness they were fed manna by the Lord on a daily basis and they weren't to gather it up or store it up except on the, on the sixth day they were to gather enough for the Sabbath day but otherwise it would, it, would, it would ruin, it would rot if they tried to save it up. But here's what I want you to understand. That manna he fed them with in the wilderness was com- provided all the nourishment they needed. They might have got tired of the taste of it, but it provided in that one food all the nourishment they needed. And also Jesus said in the New Testament, I'm the bread of life. You see, Jesus is the spiritual fulfillment of when the Lord fed them with manna in the wilderness. So the point here is repent and I will give you to eat of the hidden manna. You honor the Lord, and people are going to be saying, why is he content with all this stuff that's going on in his life? Why does he have peace in the midst of all these problems? It's because he's eating some manna that you don't see. That's talking about God's manifest presence. That's the hidden manna. Last thing, I will, give to eat, I will give him to eat of hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written which no man knoweth saving he that receiveth it. Now I don't understand everything about this white stone. But one thing I do believe is correct is there are a lot of different ideas of how this, what this meant in the culture and how he was making a spiritual application. But at least one way it was used is if you, it was like a medal in sports competition. You won the competition, you received a white stone, you were a victor, and by virtue of that white stone, you were entitled to go to all the festivities celebrating uh, were the champions and those that won medals celebrated and you bring and you show them that white stone and you were admitted. And I believe that's referring to the, again, when we repent and follow the Lord, we not only eat that hidden manna, 
but he gives us that white stone. You remember when the Lord said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And when he gives you that white stone, you can enter into some spiritual feast with other people that got the victory and enjoy feasting with them and enjoy the Lord's presence in that place that not everyone is admitted. And I believe both of these are just describing the spiritual fellowship we are granted when we as individuals and the church repent and do those things that please the Lord. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.